0: Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join us every other week as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. I'm Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Jessica Heckman of the Functional Dog Collaborative, and I am so excited about this topic. We are talking about breeding healthy, sound dogs for sport and for pets. So Jessica, let's just kind of start off talking a little bit about you and your dogs. Um, Where are you located? What's your business? Anything about your pets that you want to share? And I always love hearing like one um, non-dog related thing that uh, you're passionate about. Sure.
1: Um, And I I think that was the first time I was ever introduced as being of the Functional Dog Collaborative, which is, it's so cool (laughs) to me that it has become a thing at this point that I can be from this thing. Um, But I just made up whole hog like two months ago or three months ago or however long it was. But Yeah. That's, that's very cool. Um, yeah, so I live in Southern New Hampshire, um, with, I'm going to remember to say that I have a husband this time. I often, I'm like, I live in New Hampshire with three dogs. Um, uh, but I'll remember <laughs> to include the husband as well. He's wonderful and, um, very good with the dogs as well. So I have, uh, in addition to him, I have, um, a 10 year old, little 35 pound mixie mix Jenny, who's very mm-hmm. sweet um, very scared of people who are not me and my husband, but, uh, it's been getting much better in the nine years we've had her. And then a, uh, four-year-old he just had his birthday, uh, this Monday, uh, four-year-old English, um, shepherd named Dashiell. Um, and he is lovely. I got him to do a with, but he's had some orthopedic issues, but he seems to be coming out on the other side of that now. So I have my, oh God, yes, I have my fingers crossed for him. Um, and then when it looks like dash was never going to be able to do agility, I got, uh, from a shelter, a two year old border collie who we named Fitz, And he is also, he's a very sweet, loving dog who has, um, he's been described as neurodivergent, which I thought was hilarious. Um, just wow. meaning that he has yeah. some serious neurological issues, uh, manifesting as being very anxious about sounds and having a lot of anxiety mm. in general. So we are working through that with him with the aid of a fabulous crew of people online who help out uh, figuring out what to do next and uh, just showers of medications uh, at this point. (laughs) Yep. Basically. Um, Yeah. And you, I'm glad that you warned me that you were going to ask about some non-dog thing because I was like, oh, I do lots of, um, wait a minute, I used to do lots of non-dog things. And I was like, oh crap, I don't do any non-dog things at all right now. And then I was really horrified about my life. Uh, But I, but I was like, but you know what? I actually, I love to read and I, I make sure I have at least an hour, hour and a half every night to read before bed. The last book that I read was, uh, this is how you lose the time war,
0: which was really wonderful and highly recommended. Ooh. Yeah, that does sound good. Um, I think around this time, two years ago, I read, um, When the science of perfect timing. Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard of that one. I think that's what it I think that's what the title is. It's something about when. Mm -hmm. Um and it was really, really interesting just talking about, you know, like why a recession right when you graduate college Mm -hmm. is more harmful than a recession that comes at another time in your life. Yes. Um, so yeah, super good stuff. Um Cool. And then, um, aside from the functional dog collaborative, what are some of your other kind of projects or businesses? Um, if especially if someone's interested in connecting with you, um, yes,
1: I from New Hampshire, sure. Maybe? I have a lot going on. So I have a <laughs> now three day a week job. So I was until two weeks ago. I was a full time postdoc at the Broad Institute, where I work in Carlson Lab doing canine genetics research, and I have finished being a postdoc and I am now a computational biologist there and working just three days a week. It's very exciting. It's so postdoc is one of those like sort of you're, you're referred to as a trainee. So, you know, they pay you. It's not like you're a student, but you're still a trainee. You're not really fully fledged. So now I'm fully fledged. Um, so that feels good. Not planning on starting my own lab. I, that's just too much management for me. I'm really happy working with Eleanor uh, Eleanor Carlson in her lab and doing the really fascinating stuff that she does. But I now I'm doing yeah. that three days a week. Um, and then I'm also in the rest of my working time about to start up next week uh, working online for Virginia Tech. They are starting this year a brand new online animal behavior master's program. And I'm going to be helping teach that Um, And that's really exciting. Yeah, It's super exciting. There has been a real need. Um, People, people come to me all the time and say, I want to get into animal behavior. I want to be a behavior consultant. Um, And I, you know, how do I go and do more after my bachelor's to, to learn how to do that? Like, what's the route to doing it? And, you know, a good certification to have is to become a Associate Certified Applied Animal Behaviorist, but you have to have a master's for that. And there's not a really obvious program out there to Mm -hmm. go do that, to learn how to to be a behavior consultant with dogs, cats, horses, rabbits, what have you. Um, So Erica Feuerbacher, Dr. Erica Feuerbacher at Virginia Tech, uh, this is her brainchild. And she saw that need, which I think a lot of us had seen, but none of us actually did anything about. So Erica's doing something about it. Um, so I'm really pleased yeah, to get to help I, out with
0: that. Yeah, that is super exciting and good to know. I was actually just on the phone with Dr. Feuerbacher about like two weeks ago talking about at some point I'm going back to grad school mm. and was absolutely thrilled to hear about this program because um, I'm reluctant to leave Montana. Um, you don't have to. But yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So now there are, there are some more options. So that's super exciting. And I didn't realize you were involved. So oh, it'd be cool if you ended up there. That'd be great. neat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really hoping so eventually, um, you know, a couple of years, hopefully. Um, so, okay, great. Probably. So yeah. And then your background is kind of genetics for the most part, kind of what, Yeah. what, what was pre postdoc? Right. I <laughs> what, say, what were um, you up to?
1: Oh, and I, I should also mention, I, we like all the stuff that I do, we can't stay on that for the whole hour, right? But I also teach online. <laughs> so I teach at um, Fancy Dog Sports Academy, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes for Pet Professional Guild, um, a couple other places. So you can find me doing seminars and webinars online, um, stuff like that. So yeah, That's so great. I was a computer programmer uh, for like 11 years. And then I got bored and I had a rescue golden retriever who I loved and I was doing a lot of dog rescue work and got really interested in dog behavior and tried to figure out again, right? Like what is the right path to learn more about this and to really dig into it. And at the time in 2004, 2005, there was not a really good option to learn more about how dog brains works, dog brains worked. Um, So I ended up going to veterinary school thinking I was going to be a veterinary behaviorist. And midway through veterinary school realized no veterinary behaviorists fix dogs that are broken or other animals, but you know dogs are the the, the ones for me. They fix animals yeah. who are broken, but they don't try to figure out what broke them in the first place. And I was really much more interested in what broke them in the first place. Um, oh, interesting.
0: Uh-huh. So I
1: ended up doing a PhD in uh, behavioral genetics in foxes, working with uh, uh, samples from the Russian Tame Fox Project. So, yes,
0: yes, I yes. remember hearing that about was.
1: It. So that was. Amazing, And I learned so much. So I have this dual sort of the, well, so the computer programming thing ends up actually being really useful because that's what genetics mostly is these days. Genomics is a lot of right. computer programming. So I still do that. I remember at one point wondering when will my last program be written? And the answer is never. I'm still doing that very much <laughs> as part of my job. Um, and then the veterinary degree helps give me more of a perspective on animal health um, and you know, sort of how we interact with animals overall. And then, yes, I am currently working as a geneticist. So all cool. of that. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's quite the background. It's so fascinating. I've hopped around a lot. Yeah. 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 So can you tell us a little bit about kind of what got you started on the path towards wanting to create the Functional Dog Collaborative and kind of layering into that, what the Functional Dog Collaborative is? is? Sure.
1: Um, yeah, it was gradual, you know, like I had been thinking about this kind of stuff for many years. Um, and so trying to think back to like, it's hard to pinpoint where, I, where I started thinking about it, but I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who was, a who had bred a litter of golden retrievers and goldens have real issues with cancer. And so she was trying to, she wanted to outcross in order to, um, in order to decrease the risk that she would produce puppies with cancer and a, a high risk of developing cancer. And she was breeding. So she had show line goldens and she was breeding to working line goldens. And she was talking about the issues with this. And she was saying, yeah, it's really hard because I need to put a championship on my dogs before I can breed them. And if I cross with working line goldens and it just becomes a bit harder to put that championship on them because I don't look quite the way one expects in the showing. This is one of these breeds that has diverged a bit between the show and working
0: lines. And yeah, uh, my breed is border Collie yes. it's, it's very, I mean, <laughs> you can spot a more, show line yes. border collie a mile away. For sure.
1: And I was like, Oh, um, so you, I didn't realize you showed your dogs. And she sort of was like, I don't, you know, I don't, it's not my thing. I don't enjoy doing it all that much, but I, you know, I have to have that championship before I can breed the dogs. And I was like, why? And, you know, and she said, well, you know, you really need that judge to have their hands on them. And you it's really hard to get really quality breeding stock if you don't have a championship on your dogs yourself. So I started realizing that there was this perception that the best way to find the best dog to breed was through showing it and going through that whole confirmation route. Even Even if your actual goal was not to be part of the dog, I mean, that's obviously the right way to do it if you're really into the dog fancy and you really like, yeah. that's your thing is sculpting that dog who looks just right and acts just right. If that's your thing, that's a hundred percent the best route to go to produce more dogs like that. But what she wanted to do was to produce pet dogs and dogs. I forget what her thing was, but you know, some kind of sport. Um, and if, if that's your route, then why are you going through this, this other route that sort of takes you way out of the way and you know, why are you thinking that you need a judge to have their hands on your dog? If you're not interested in having your dog's head be exactly the right shape or coat be exactly the right color, if you're more interested in, is the dog healthy? Couldn't a veterinarian help you with that? And why shouldn't you be able Mm -hmm. to get good breeding stock if you don't have a championship? Like, isn't a championship just about this particular thing? So I started thinking like, well, well, so maybe there should be a different way of assessing what dogs are good dogs to breed and of putting people together who are more interested in in these other things other than the the dog fancy. So then I had this, um, this other friend who she was a, a student of mine at the time. And we became friends through this whole saga. She contacted me saying that she had a lovely Doberman bitch who she had just finished her, uh, confirmation championship. And she was interested in breeding this dog. And Dobermans are in sort of an even worse place than golden retrievers in terms of longevity and their risk of heart disease and various Mm -hmm. cancers. And she really wanted to breed this dog responsibly. And I said, you know, it's going to be really hard for you to find another Doberman to breed this dog to who is going to produce puppies that don't have a high risk of heart disease and cancer. It's, in fact, it may be impossible. Um, And that risk being relative, right? Like you can lower your risk within the breed compared to other. Dobermans. Right. But if you look outside the breed and compare to sort of dogs at large, any two Dobermans are going to produce a dog are going to produce puppies with a much higher risk of heart disease and cancer. And, and my friend really didn't want that, right? She really wanted to produce puppies that she could say, these are going to be really healthy dogs. And I said, it's going to be really, really hard to like, I'll help you, but it's going to be really hard to find another Doberman. And I was like, you know, there are some Doberman crosses out there. Um, and if you breed your dog to one of them, the puppies that you get will actually look a fair amount like Dobermans. Why don't you do that? And she said, you know, I might, I would consider that. But if I do that, I will never be given another Doberman again as long as I live. So I can't do it. And that that was when I realized there has to be another, another place for people to go. Um, if at some point someone wanted to do a cross like that and said, okay, if I do this, then the breed club that I'm in right now is going to throw me out, then where would they go? And so I started asking her, well, well, what does this breed club mean to you? Like, what, what does it give you? Why is it so important to you that you, mm-hmm. can't, you don't want to be thrown out of it? Um, the most important thing was access to stock. So being able to get her next Doberman puppy. Um, right. But the other thing was, you know, she said, you know, if I want to breed, I need to be able to get a mentor. I need to be able to find someone who can help me figure out what the best dog to breed to is and help me figure out how to raise the puppies and, you know, help me figure out what this particular puppy disease means. Um, and all that, I need a breeding mentor and I need to be able to go, um, to my national specialty and see my friends and hang out and see the other dogs who are like my dog. Uh, and I started thinking, but all those things don't have to be in a breed club. Um, so what Yeah. What other organization could provide people with those things and what other organization could provide a place for people to come to? Like, surely there are other people like her out there. Can, can they connect with each other? Um, and then, and then the idea I had was everyone can have what they want then. People who want to breed for dog shows and for the dog fancy, they can do that. If they don't want to breed a different way, they don't have to. But people who do want to breed a different way, they should have a place to go to do it. So that was that was sort of the core of the idea of just
0: providing support for people who wanted to do something different. Yeah, I and we, we've already touched on like so many of the things, <laughs> so many of the threads I was already planning on pulling out, which is very exciting. Um, And yeah, I mean, this, since I found you through the podcast, um, I think you might have been a guest on another podcast I listened to, and that's how I found the Functional Dog podcast. Um, and it's just been, like, I can't stop talking about it, um, to everyone, like, even all my non-dog friends, um, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, do you know how problematic Dobermans are, and like, how hard it is to fix this, and that there's this project going on, um, So, yeah, it's just, it's been, I've been so excited about it. Um, And, you know, and I I think anyone like myself and probably many of our listeners who are, you know, always kind of thinking about that next dog and thinking, um, you know, a lot of our listeners have dogs with behavioral concerns. That's part of the reason a lot of people listen to us or, you know, myself. I have very specific hopes and dreams for my next dog and honestly don't care much about um, the breed registration or, you know, I don't care at all about the head shape. Um, you know, and just thinking about where to get these next dogs from. Um, I think one of the things that is just so exciting about the functional dog collaborative is again, kind of like trying to figure out how to serve, you know, people who just want pets, um, cause traditionally they're kind of told, oh, just get, you know, a show line washout, but, and, and that can work a lot, but they're expensive. There's not a ton of them and it's, they're not really for pets, you know, they tend to be good pets, but that's not the purpose in mind. And then, you know, even myself, like I, I do wildlife and conservation detection work. Um, and my chosen breed, I really like these border collies and there's not a lot of people breeding border collies for detection stuff. Um. So yeah, there's just, there's so many different reasons that people might be coming to this uh, Functional Dog Collaborative. So um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of where things stand with it right now, what exists, um, and then we'll kind of also talk about where we're going, and then we'll dig back into some of the really fun stuff that I won't stop talking to my friends about.
1: Yeah, so, well, so I ended up actually starting the thing, the Functional Dog Collaborative, uh, in March so that's funny because earlier in this, in this interview, I told you it had been two or three months, but I guess it's been more than that. <laughs> something like yeah, five months now. Um, it feels like it all happened really fast. So basically um, I ended up actually starting it in March. And cause I remember a friend of mine, I was complaining to a friend of mine being like, I just need to find someone to help me do this thing or to, to fund it or to help me run it or something. And my friend finally said, Jessica, it's you. You're the person. Stop looking for another person. It's you. <laughs> just I'll
0: do it. Just do it.
1: So I did it. Um, and so we started out with a Facebook group. Um, and so that is functional breeding, uh, pretty easy to find on Facebook. We get like 20 new requests for people to join every day. (coughs) So it's, it's growing. So it started out early on, it was like 200 people. Um, and it's now up to, it's over 1400 now it's getting close to 1500. Um, so it's growing really fast And, um, and I knew that I was going to need to have a podcast, um, as a way to pull people in. So I knew Mm -hmm. that I was going to have to build a community and that the way to do that these days is to have a podcast where you put the ideas out there that you want to talk about. And then you tell people, if you want to talk about it, then you come to this community that I have here, unfortunately on Facebook, and we will all discuss, you know, sort of what we're going to do about these things. So I started the Functional Breeding Podcast. Um, and so that came out sort of like a month or two later, I think. Um, and I don't even remember how many episodes, I think we're on like our eighth episode or something like that at this point. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and that has been very well received. I've really appreciated hearing back from a lot of people that they've really been enjoying it, which warms my heart. I'm really, really glad it's not too nerdy for people. Uh, it's just always the concern with things that I do. And so that started growing. Um, and so we, then we put up a website, which is functionalbreeding.org. And the website, we've been gradually adding more to that. So the first project that we had was to figure out what would the curriculum be for someone like what would you need to learn if you were starting out as a breeder and you didn't know really a whole lot yet? What's all the stuff that you would need to learn to actually be a competent breeder? And so we crowdsourced and, and pulled together a very detailed list of topics, and those are available on the website And what is happening now is that we have an education team or a curriculum team who are going through those topics, finding available resources that are out there. Um, You know, some will be free, some will be for pay, like, uh, you know, available online classes or books or whatnot. And they're Mm -hmm. going to put all that together and then identify the gaps and once we know what the gaps are, then our hope is that we will ourselves be able to start offering webinars or who knows even classes down the road to fill in some of those gaps. So that mm-hmm. is um, what I see as the education arm of the FDC is you need to have a place to go to learn how to be a good breeder. <laughs> so we want to try to help yeah. uh, plug some of those holes and and provide that. Then there's the what I see as the social arm. So I was talking about how people want to have other people who breed dogs like them and want to be able to talk to their friends. And, you know, if I couldn't interact with members of my breed club, where would I go? And where, who would I find to talk to about dogs? So right now that is the Facebook group and people have been really enjoying the group. I'm getting a lot of good feedback. Someone really charmingly said that it was her favorite place on the internet the other day. Oh, which wow. I love. Yeah. Um, so, and we, that grew so fast. I had to get a moderation team, Uh, put together. And I love my moderators. They are amazing. Um, Without them, all I was doing was keeping the group from exploding. And now I can go back to focusing on growing the whole thing. And they make sure that everybody's polite. um, No one yells at anybody else about their breeding practices, which is hard because there are a lot of people doing very different things on the group, right? I mean, we have people Mm -hmm. who actually are that sort of traditional confirmation show breeder. And then we have people who are breeding doodles. We have people who are bringing breeding multi-generation sport mixes um and then we have veterinarians uh behavior experts dog owners like just people from all walks of life all walks of the dog life mixing together (laughs) um and someone said to me at one point like i can't like how are you keeping them all from fighting because they're all coming from such different places um and that is the moderator team they are amazing so it is actually a very friendly civilized place to be relative to the rest of facebook uh i hope so there's that, and then the hope is that we would have in-person get-togethers at some point, which would be similar to a specialty, or I'm cool. actually thinking of them a lot more in terms of dog sports camps. Um, so there would be, I would love to see, uh, we would get some different sports competitions together, so maybe there would be agility, obedience, um, uh, dog diving, who knows, right? Um, nose work. Nose work. Yeah, nose work. So <laughs> um, have all that. Nosework work is hard to find a place to do it. I guess if it wasn't any, any it would be easier,
0: but yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Just kind of general. Um, yeah. I forget. Cause I just do like, I'm yeah. I'm not into the actual competitive nosework scene. It can be challenging to find the place to do it where there hasn't been any, you know, where people will let
1: you come have dogs sniff things where no one has had odor. Yeah. For a year. Yeah. Right. But um, yes, uh, I love nose work. So have that have education, you know, you know, classes and then have, uh, health clinics, right? So people can get their dogs health tested, um, have veterinarians there to, you know, it's like sports med veterinarians to get their hands on your dog and say, your dog looks healthy and fit and good for the job that you want to use them for. And thereby likely to pass on good genes, uh, to puppies for being good at, at the job that, that you hope the puppies will be good for, Um, So all of that. And then of course, the social aspect of just being together uh, with other people Mm -hmm. who care about the same thing you do. So that's, I haven't even started thinking about that yet because we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's just no point, but um, it is something I would really like to do. And if, and if people have other ideas about what we can do to provide the social aspect more than what the Facebook group does, I'm, I'm eager to hear it um, because a lot of stuff is going online right now. There might be other things we could do. So there's that. And then the third arm um, long term is it's been very clear and it's been suggested on the group multiple times. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, I know that we need to have a database where people can um, put their dog's pedigree information in and health test information in and uh, search for dogs being bred in ways that they're interested in, either to match with their own dogs or to get a puppy um, hopefully also a way for breeders to stay in touch with their puppy owners and to get health and, um, behavior reports back from the puppy owners to help inform their future breeding decisions. So all of that. Um, and we are just starting to think about that project and it's kind of overwhelming to think about because building that kind of thing is yeah. massive. Uh, I do have a team that is, is interested in working on it. Um, and actually the phone call that I have this afternoon after I talk with you is to talk to someone about that. So Um, So that's moving forward, but that's, that's a big project. So I just don't know how long that's going to take.
0: Yeah. That's a huge undertaking. And especially when you're working, I've got to imagine, I mean, I wouldn't quite know where to start even with a specific breed, but when you're starting to look at mixes and you know, there's different tests and different like characteristics you care about for each, um, um, you have to cover so much. Yeah.
1: So um, the, the vision that I have, is that people would start forming into what we might call cooperatives. And so people might find themselves, uh, find each other either through this database or we're trying to put together a directory or just on the Facebook group and say, oh, there's a bunch of us who are interested in outcrossing golden retrievers and having a population of dogs that are not quite goldens but look like goldens. Or maybe mm-hmm. the what I really want people to breed um, sports like dogs that are like, um, a mix between herding breeds and retrievers. And they have the retriever resilience and retriever sweetness, but the herding breed intellect and sensitivity, um, in a nice small package around 35 pounds, Mm -hmm. that's good for jumping and not injuring themselves by being so heavy. Um, you know, so maybe there's five, 10 breeders who are interested in doing that. They could come together, call themselves a cooperative share breeding stock. Um, and then they could start defining their goals for that population. And in that way, they could then start putting together, well, what, what are the relevant health tests for this population? What are, uh, behavior issues that we want to breed away from? What are health issues that we want to breed away from? Um, so I'm, I'm hoping again, that it's not going to be this top down, us sort of handing out these rules Mm -hmm. of here's what you have to breed for, because there's, as you say, there's just so many different things going on. Um, hopefully people will start coming together, um, starting to, to put together their goals and the guidelines for how to get there. And then we would love to provide support for that, right? Would you want to go talk to a veterinary geneticist about what the right issues to, to worry about for these particular crosses are? Would you want to talk to mm-hmm. someone with a PhD in animal breeding to, to worry about this particular issue? So trying to help provide that support for those groups would be something that we would do. So yeah, there's a lot in the future still,
0: but it's very young. It's very young. It is. Yeah. I actually, I, I'm sure I knew that at some point from listening to your podcast, um, but I didn't quite realize that this was like, oh, this is as old as our lockdown. Uh. It is
1: exactly my, pa- my COVID passion project, my pandemic passion project. It was yeah. after the lockdown yeah. started that I lost my ability to say no to it. Like I knew I had known yeah. I needed to do it. I kept saying no to it. And then I, when I was at home, um, I started, I stopped saying no. Um, but also I realized, you know, I went back to school for, depending on how you count it, maybe somewhere between 10 and 15 years. Um, and now Mm -hmm. I have the job that I went back to school to get. I'm no longer a trainee. I'm a real person with a real job, um, doing research. I'm going to start being able to teach. And we bought this beautiful house in New Hampshire, which is where we want to live. Um, I have my three dogs, I'm doing dog sports. And I was like, that's, those are my goals. Like. I I have reached my goals so I need a new goal and I was like well the new goal doesn't have to be about me it can be about
0: changing the world so that's why that happened when it did I guess yeah that's very cool I think you're you're one of the people that the memes are about where they're like (laughs) so and so got all of this done during you know lockdown during whatever and um (laughs) so way to go way to be productive um Yeah. And again, I I just, I I know I keep saying this, but I'm just, I've been so excited kind of watching this and thinking about it. I've been, you know, on and off puppy hunting for a while and it's, it's just really exciting to see more stuff where one of the things I've really noticed is a lot of my favorite dogs are between 50 and 75% border collie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a lot of my favorite dogs are my my current dog is 100% border collie. Um, but a lot of my favorites where it's like, oh, you're a little easier to live with. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> are crossed with things. We have a dog at, at at work at working dogs for conservation who is I think 65% border collie, and then the other, uh, like whatever that is, 35% of him is mixed between sheltie and mini American shepherd. Oh, cool. Um. And he's just, oh, my God, he's the perfect size. He's got that border collie intensity when you're working, but he turns off really nicely. Mm-hmm. The only thing I wish I could change about him is his bark, but, you know, that's yeah, not damn surprising bark. given the, <laughs> giving the mixes. Um, and it's just, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely adore him, um, and he is honestly easier to live with than my Border Collie, uh, but still is just as good of a working detection dog, or at least we expect he's going to turn into that. He's a a couple of years behind my dog in training.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, that a lot of the breeds that we have out there were, their original goals were for things that not a whole lot of people do anymore. Some people still do those things, but there's a big need for pet dogs and for what I'm calling Sports Light. I forget someone said that on the Facebook group, and I was like, Sports Light, that's (laughs) exactly it. I don't need to go to nationals. I don't need... To go compete on the world team—that is never going to be me. I want to go to some agility competitions and you know put a couple titles on my dog. Like that's what I want to do, and I do not need a high octane sports bred border collie to do that. And I don't want to
0: live with that dog. Same, right? Yeah, I well, and part of you know I've thought about this quite a bit. Is you know the reality too is. I think given, I, so I live in Missoula, Montana, and um, if so, I've talked to a couple of breeders who do have some of those high-octane Border Collies, and I've been kind of interested in, and a lot of them, they really want titles getting put on those dogs, and the reality is, I'm not going to be driving seven hours each way to and from Seattle to get to that number of competitions, so if that is a breeder's goal, I'm going to have a hard time getting a dog from that breeder, um, because you know, even if I, I do love agility, but, um, and even with the right dog and, you know, as I get better, um, the reality is we're just not going to be racking up a lot of those points because everything in Montana is four hours yes. away.
1: <laughs> yes. In New England, um, things are closer together. I wouldn't have to drive seven hours to do that, but it's still, it's not my highest priority right now. It's fun. Like it's for me, I want agility yeah. to be relaxing, agility to be relaxing, but you know what I do, That's right? Funny. Like I don't yeah, want to no, be no, competitive about it.
0: Yeah. And I love, I, yeah, I love the term sports light. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I, I know Sarah Strubbing's podcast that dropped, I think two days ago now was about kind of third dog paralysis. And that's kind of what she's talking about is these people who got into dog sports with whatever dog they had, got a second dog that maybe was higher octane than they bargained for. And then just trying to figure out how to, how to split that with their next dog. Yes. Um,
1: And where do they go? Right. I listened to that podcast episode Mm -hmm. yesterday. Yeah. Where do they go? And there, and those dogs are out there, but it's, it's harder to find them than I think it really should be.
0: Yeah. And it seems like a lot of those dogs, um, I've spoken to several breeders where, you know, it's like, well, we're breeding for field trial labs, but one of our lower drive puppies from that, from that breeding would probably work for what you're looking for. So, you know, it's, even though those dogs exist um you have to get matched with the right puppy from a litter because that's not necessarily what they're breeding for and obviously there's going to be variation in any litter no matter what but
1: yeah it's um, never going to be totally black and white to just go out and find the perfect dog like going to mcdonald's and and getting your mac
0: yeah i mean even if you're breeding for sports light i imagine that's you're probably going to have it's a bell curve you're going to end up with like Going for sports light and accidentally getting a national champion dog occasionally, yes. which is not the <laughs> worst oops in the world, um, or going for sports light and getting a couple, you know, couch potatoes out of okay. it, because that even happens when you're really breeding for sports sports. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and let's kind of circle, I, I was reading through a lot of like the FDC's goals. And one of the things that I got really excited about, because I, you know, my, my thing is behavior, um, but also, you know, health, I just know a lot less about health was how many of the FDCs kind of breeding guidelines and goals are really focused on behavior. So can you talk a little bit about how you thought through um, creating these behavioral goals that are across all of these disparate goals that we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, um, it's funny, actually. So right, so we, we put together the these guidelines, when the conversations on the Facebook group started making it clear that not everyone who came into the group sort of knew what the goals of the FDC were. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, thank you, Facebook. Facebook was saying you like this dog group. Maybe you'll like this other dog group. And people were sort of coming in thinking this is sort of just another group about breeding dogs and didn't realize that it had a different perspective than a lot of those. Gotcha. And so we were like, well, we should write something up to make it really clear to people. Like we should be able to have something to point to that really explains where we're coming from and how that's different from some other things. And uh, and so I wrote up these goals, this first draft of, of goals that really focused on health. And I forget who said it. Someone read it and was like, but Jessica, what about behavior? And I was like, oh my God, I got into this whole dog thing because I was interested in behavior. And now I have written a series of goals that don't include behavior. I was so appalled at myself. Uh, but it was actually not all that hard then to, to, to write the behavioral goals in the same vein as the health goals. And it basically just what both of those say is you should be trying to breed dogs that are as physically healthy and as behaviorally healthy as the dog population overall. So if you are in a place and and I, you know, I was thinking back to my, my friends who are sort of, I'm breeding within this breed and the breed has a lot of issues and I want to produce healthy puppies. How do I do it? And there are people who have constraints that I really, you know, they say, I really need to breed within this breed for whatever reason, be it, I really Mm -hmm. want to stay within the breed because that's what I want to produce, or I am constrained to stay within this breed because if I breed outside of the breed, I won't be given more breeding stock. You know, for whatever reason you're breeding within the breed, you're going to recognize that some breed associated health and behavior conditions may come along uh, with that. And so the, what we were trying to convey was that is not what we are about. We are about um, finding other ways to breed so that you can actually aim to have your dogs be no less healthy than the general population of dogs.
0: Um, yeah. Both, so kind of zooming to out yeah. to not saying, oh, the this line has low cancer rates for golden retrievers. Right. You know, we don't want to be always grading on that curve for right. more thinking. No, these are golden retrievers that have low cancer rates. Right. Period. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and cool. and so and so for behavior specifically, you know, we the guidelines sort of list some some issues. You know, they so what does that actually look like when we say behavior? And the dog should be fairly confident in its world. It shouldn't have aggression to people. It shouldn't have aggression to other dogs. It shouldn't be afraid of new dogs. It shouldn't be afraid of new environments. And then a few things like well, but if it's a farm dog, you wouldn't expect it to be able to go handle a city right off the bat. That's totally reasonable. The one thing that we really struggled with was that we didn't want to encourage breeding dogs with aggression. And what we were really thinking of was, you know, if you have a breed and you say the goal of the breed is to fight with other dogs, you know, I'm breeding this dog for dog fighting. We did not want to say that that was a job that we supported. Um, We find that to Mm. be not ethical, but how do you draw that line because there are some jobs that are ethical. And so people were bringing up, well, livestock guardian dogs, they need to have some amount of aggression to drive off, Um, predators attacking coyotes. Yeah. Right. And so, so how much of that or dogs who do bite work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's it's aggression, but it's really channeled into their job. So we sort of tried to say some amount of aggression is okay if it's appropriately channeled, but if it bleeds out of that into the rest of the dog's life, so you breed a dog for bite work and you expect it to be able to bite people on the sleeve uh, during bite work training, that's totally appropriate. But if it then comes home and attacks you when you try to sit down next to it on the couch, because it wants the couch for itself, that's not okay. And so just trying to yeah. channel digression, not too much of it, fine. Um, but so that was how we worked through the behavior stuff. And there were a bunch of people who gave some really useful input on that. I love being in a place where I don't have to do it all myself now. Um, there's just so many yeah. great volunteers to help out with that stuff. So yeah, so that was how we uh, how we put that up there,
0: yeah, yeah, that's I had uh, I'd been kind of thinking about you know police or protection dogs, but I had forgotten about yeah like livestock guardian dogs there are, yeah, these cases or you know like predatory aggression is often a thing many people don't want, but in terriers that is you know if you're still breeding for that or even you know rat hunt, uh, or barn hunt is, you know, there's so many things that are kind of variants on predatory aggression. Um, but keeping track of that is important, you know, yeah. like, again, and I, I just, you know, everything is about what Kayla Fratt is looking for. But, um, like, in my line of work, predatory aggression, prey drive, whatever you want to call it, is a pretty big deal. Like, Barley and I work in prairie dog towns off-leash around North America's rarest land mammal. So that's something, and luckily, border collies are not known for a lot of predatory aggression. But um, you know, it's something that if I could search a database or you know, like look at you know, twenty years down the line when that's actually something we've got built, uh, that's something I would be very interested in looking for as I'm thinking about my next dog, especially if I ever shift out of my my current breed. Um,
1: yeah, I'd love that. So, I'd love to have people fill out behavioral questionnaires about their breeding stock and get it, get them filled out by the puppy owners and then be able to do some statistics and say this particular line of dogs has, you know, has this. And then the, you know, one of the issues that we haven't touched on yet about um, some of the societal issues around how we traditionally breed dogs currently um, encourage people to say there's a problem in this line and we're working away from it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you hear all these stories about, Well, this dog had epilepsy and I just didn't tell anybody because, um, you know, it would have been really hard socially for me. You know, people would not have taken it well for me to broadcast that this dog who has sired puppies and who is a popular sire and who I'm still taking to dog shows has epilepsy. Um, and the societal pressures there to just not share that information. And then when you go look at a database to try to find a dog, um, to fight, try to find the healthy parents to breed healthy puppies. You know, and I encountered this with my friend who was researching appropriate mates for her Doberman. And we just knew that there was uh, dilated cardiomyopathy out there that was not in the database, that people knew that the dog right. had it and didn't report it in the database because they didn't want it known. And again, not to blame the individuals, right? Like there's this whole right. culture that makes it
0: very, very hard for people to come out with stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's not because we want to throw you in Facebook jail. Right. It's just right. because we want to figure out how to breed dogs. healthily. Right. Well, and I, I mean, now I'm starting to think again, like 20 years down the line where I'm just, again, thinking like through border collies, like it's a common issue that a lot of them have noise phobias and a lot of them don't eat. And like, honestly, I'd rather deal with a dog that has thunderstorm issues than a dog that routinely won't eat in training. Um, and but, like, someone else might have that totally flipped. I don't live in an area with a lot of storms currently. And it would be so awesome to be able to kind of combine all of this information and then have you be able to say, like, oh, some of these lines are, you know, rel- like, resilience is one of my, like, number one concerns, especially because there are so many border collies where it's like, well, they're resilient for a border collie. And it's like, that's not what I want. I want golden retriever resilience. And border collie brain. God, me too. Um, border collie intelligence. Me too. Get a little smaller. I think that's what everyone wants. A little smaller. (laughs) Um, Like the golden border collie crosses
1: I've seen tend to be larger than I want.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't want that big. I just can't think of something that's, you know, as kind of considered as traditionally stable as a a golden. I'm sure there's something out there. Um, So we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the different impetuses. Yeah. I don't know how to pluralize, imbitis. Um, for uh, for starting the FDC. And, you know, a couple that I know we've mentioned have been the fact that, yeah, if you were to ever outcross your Doberman, you'd never be sold a Doberman again or, you know, your friend. Um, you know, and then I think one of your mixy your Mix episode talked about how the AKC will allow people to show mixed breed dogs, but only if that mixed breed dog is neutered, which is not, helpful if you are intending to create another mixy mix, um, or even just, you know, like a border weapon or whatever,
1: or even Um, if you just want to keep your dog intact. So my English shepherd is not an AKC breed. So he falls, even though he's a purebred, he falls under that same category where, because he's intact, I can't compete in AKC events with him. Um, and I don't actually intend to breed him but I like him having his balls. Like I don't, I don't see that I need to, to neuter him really. I like that he has that extra muscle. Um, it's easy to keep the weight off of him. Um, mm-hmm. Things that might well change if I neutered him. I don't know how neutering might change his behavior. It might not change it at all. It might change it, but you can't yeah. put them back after they're gone. Um, nope. <laughs> so I just, I don't really want to neuter him at this point. And for me, it's not that big a deal. Um, Cause there's, there's alternatives. Like we, if we end up actually managing to do agility, there's plenty of other venues around here. Uh, we might very well do rally and there's uh, alternate rally venues for us. That's not true for everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's that I, I hadn't even really you know, thought of because my dog is from a shelter, so I didn't have the option of whether or not to keep him intact. Um, but he is one of those dogs where... Uh, like yeah if I could if I could have kept him intact um I would be interested in exploring breeding him because he's just so you know he's so much of what I want and I have not met many border collies that are the way he is um he's yeah yeah he's just really lovely you got lucky. um yeah I got so lucky and that's part of it too like I don't work in sheltering anymore so mm-hmm. I was really I was able to be extremely picky and I was able to call dibs on him before the shelter opened that morning and um I don't have that luxury anymore. I've actually been turned down for several adoptions in a row recently. um, That it's just like, Oh man, this is going to be a lot harder with my next dog because I no longer work, you know, behind the scenes in a shelter. Um, So yeah. What let's talk a little bit about kind of Dalmatians because that is kind of a success story. And hopefully it's something that we can draw from for other great. So what was going on with Dalmatians, um, and kind of where are they at now with this? Um, because it's a liver or kidney issue. Kidney, that kidney puts- Uric acid, it's, um, uric yes. acid
1: levels. So they, Dalmatians, um, some number of decades ago, all of them lacked the properly functioning enzyme to, um, convert uric acid to whatever the next step is, um,
0: Gotcha. The, so every single all of, them,
1: all of them had this problem. It was fixed. Holy cow. And it, it yeah, turns so there out was that no
0: ability right. to.
1: Right. So, and I was actually just talking with, um, one of the graduate students in Carlson lab about this yesterday, um, because she was doing a genome wide association and she was looking for the, the gene, we call it ticking. Um, but it's modified in Dalmatians to do those beautiful spots that they have. And she yeah. said, Oh yeah, there's, there's the uric acid problem, and there's the spot problem, the spot not, not problem, right? And the two genes are right next to each other. Ah, um, okay. Well, that makes sense. So that it was very hard. So that was why there was a lot of selection pressure to get those spots. And then they, they brought this in. But there's because they were close together, they, the, the problem ended up being with the desired trait. But it right. was possible, that it wasn't actually the same gene, though. Um, mm-hmm. So it was possible to separate it out. So what happened was that um, this Dalmatian outcross project crossed to a single pointer and then they started breeding back to Dalmatians and it was very easy to test. So you can uh, take a Dalmatian's urine and test how much uric acid is in it and then you can tell if they have the functioning gene To convert the uric acid. Um, And by the way, I should say the reason that this was a problem is that if you have these high uric acid levels, then you end up um, being at increased risk of kidney stones, Ah. which is not fun. Um, And it was manageable in the breed, still is manageable in the breed by feeding them a particular diet so they don't make as much uric acid in the first place. Um, But then the argument would be, so the two sides of it are, well, you can fix it just by feeding them the special diet versus... I don't want to feed the dog a special diet. I'd rather have a dog with functioning kidneys. So,
0: what um, a radical
1: idea. Yeah, so they crossed to this pointer, and then they just started breeding back from there. And so it was easy to put that selection pressure on to just test the urine and be like, okay, this mm-hmm. puppy has at least one functioning copy. Um, right, and they only need the one, way. right? They only needed the one. And so the thing about the Dalmatians is that it was the single gene, and they had an easy test for it. And so you yeah, can take the puppies beautiful. and be like, this puppy has the gene. Um, and so it's, for me, it's a really interesting case because they were, I mean, it's, it takes like three generations to breed back to type. So by the third, fourth, fifth generation, they had dogs that looked like Dalmatians. And by some number of generations after that, they had dogs that were 99.9% Dalmatian but just gotcha. had this one gene that they had managed through successive generations to basically splice like CRISPR, but, yeah. um, but natural. So, so they had managed to do this. Um, but it took decades to get the dog recognized by the breed club. And my understanding is that the AKC itself basically said, if the Dalmatian breed club would like to recognize these dogs, we will recognize them. That is fine. But it was really the breed club that said, no, Um, they can't be recognized as purebred Dalmatians because there's this pointer some number of generations back. And that went on for decades. And I want to say it was 30 years before the Dalmatians were finally accepted by the breed club and therefore by the AKC. And they are still perceived of as a very separate population within Dalmatians. So they are referred to as low uric acid or LUA Dalmatians. And if you are in Dalmatians, you have a, a preference I think mm-hmm. everyone has a preference for LUA or non-LUA, um, and the argument for the non-LUAs is that their spots look different. Um, and I can't see that difference, but I think someone, maybe someone who's really in Dalmatians, can see that the spots are are a different size, or maybe not. Um, so I don't have an opinion. I don't have enough data to have an opinion about whether it really affects the spot size. And then the people who like the LUAs like the dogs who don't have to eat the special diet and have fully functioning kidneys. So for me, what's really interesting about this is that it was scientifically, biologically, a really easy fix. It was one yeah. out cross. It was an easy test to see what the answer, to, to see which dogs to breed going forward. But socially, there was a massive problem socially with getting those dogs accepted. And the there are very few breeds with that type of problem right now. So if you look at a breed, we've perhaps we have beat up the poor Doberman too much. Um, And we've talked about goldens. So maybe we could move on to somebody else like the Bernese mountain dog who also has Irish wolfhounds or Irish wolfhounds. Sure. We'll do Irish (laughs) wolfhounds and osteosarcoma. So very high risk of osteosarcoma in the Irish wolfhound. Um, Why is that? It is not one gene. Yeah. Um, people have looked for it, they haven't found it, and they know that it's multiple genes. So in order to fix that, you're not going to be able to breed in one dog, fix it, and then select the puppies. Also, there's no easy test. You don't know if it's going to get osteosarcoma until right. it, has it and by that point, it's probably old enough that it's already reproduced. So it's a much harder problem. We still know the answer, which is, um, and actually the Irish Wolfhound is not actually the perfect example because there's some evidence... That the issues um, osteosarcoma is a cancer of the long bones, and Irish Wolfhounds. What do they look like? They're, they're long very boned. long boned So yeah. there's some evidence that their that their actual size may contribute to it. So you may need to breed them a bit smaller, but certainly you would need to start bringing in dogs from other breeds periodically. And there was a really interesting paper that came out just a couple of years ago. That showed that if you bring in one dog um, just for diversity's sake, right, and then you can breed back in two or three generations till it looks like an Irish wolfhound again, but you will have basically bred out all of the useful diversity, right? It worked oh. in the animations because it was one gene and you could make sure to keep that one gene. But with a lot of these breeds, there's not a particular gene that we mm-hmm. want. We don't know what the genes are that are problematic. So it really has to be to fix that problem. There has to be a different approach to breeding, which is you're going to have to sprinkle in diversity periodically. People, yeah. You know, just so it has to be happening throughout the breed that some people are breeding mixes and then they're breeding back into the breed in a lot of different places periodically. And it's not just bring in some diversity once and then close the stud books again. So the, the vision that I have is that the FDC could support people who want to do the outcrossing. Um, yeah. And there could be a bunch of reasons. Um, Irish Wolfhound's not heavily used in sport mixes, um, but there <laughs> are lurchers sometimes, you could imagine it as a lurcher, yeah. right? So imagine there are people who wanted to breed Irish Wolfhound border collie crosses for lurchers, and they were happy doing that. And then some people want to take those and start breeding them um, back to border collies for some reason. And some people want to start breeding them back to Irish wolfhounds. And someone else is crossing Irish wolfhounds with something else for some other reason. Um, And so the FTC can help support those populations, maintain Mm -hmm. these more diverse populations, which are going to have less type, and not be as recognizable as Irish wolfhounds. But there are people who want them. Right, there are people who just yeah. want an Irish Wolfhound cross because it's cool. There are people who like as a good pet, right? If it was
0: yeah good for that, well, I, I actually could imagine Irish Wolfhounds might not be a bad breed to, if you don't mind size. They're pretty stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, like most of the Irish Wolf, we've actually got three in my apartment building, which is bizarre. <laughs> okay. Um I have five Rhodesian Ridgebacks in my cl- in my agility class right now, and three. Huh. Wolfhounds in my apartment building. It, I don't. There must be a breeder. I, I know there's a Rhodesian breeder breeder around. Um, but the, yeah, they actually might be an interesting mix for some of that environmental stability. Mm-hmm. They just they all seem so nice. So that's a great example, right? So some people yeah. may may say,
1: "Oh, I want to breed in some environmental stability, so I'll take one of these lurchers, uh, one of the first first generation mm-hmm. Irish Wolfhound mixes, and breed it down the road, going in a different direction for that." So people breeding these mixes for different reasons. But then there is that population of mixes. So then the people who are really interested in type and really want the dogs to look a certain way, they're not interested in breeding these first-generation mixes, which aren't going to look anything like what they want them to look like. But if we're maintaining these other populations out there, they can go find a second- or third-generation mix that looks a lot more like what they want, breed it back in, the first time they do it, it's not going to help all that much. But if everybody is doing it, if this diversity is getting injected into different parts of the population from a lot of different angles, um, all of a sudden the population as a whole is going to start being a lot more diverse and theoretically healthier. There's some really good reasons to think that that would be a big boost to the health of these populations. No one's tested it yet. Um, yeah, yeah. So as a scientist, I can't guarantee you it's going to work, but it is what we currently, with the best scientific understanding, believe would be the best chance for these breeds to start digging out of these holes where you say, I want to improve longevity, but I can only do it relative to the other dogs in the breed. And if the breed as a whole has a problem, there's... there's nowhere else to go. But there is somewhere yeah. else to go, right? And we want to help you do that. We want to have these side populations that you can reach back into. Um,
0: yeah. And especially if we can start collecting all these different people where, yeah, there might be some pet people who want, you know, this giant scruffy... Sure. Wolf, you, you know, wolfhound border yeah. holly. And then there could be, you know, I, I do quite a bit of cane across and ski joring, And mm-hmm. you see a lot of these euro hound mixes that are kind of like the pointer lurcher sort of mix things like someone could be really I could see people being pretty excited about that um you know and if you're just open to a variety of these different purposes um it just seems like you could really pull in a lot of stuff um
1: and yeah I think
0: it's so hard for breeders and purebred fanciers to remind ourselves that a lot of people don't care nearly as much about purebreds there's a lot of Um, You know, I mean, we can talk about doodles, which I think we were, I wanted to pivot to next anyway. But then there's also one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of close but not quite right understanding of hybrid vigor in kind of the general population, which we are talking about hybrid vigor, but I think there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, any cross is automatically going to be healthier. So I think, um, you know, we need to remind ourselves uh, those of us who are really into the dog world is that most people don't care. So it's not like we're not going to be able to find homes for these puppies. And if our goal, and this also relates to the last thing I want to talk about, which was Trish Trish's episode about shelter dogs. You know, I think there's this pushback that like, Oh my gosh, if you breed a wolfhound border collie cross, you're going to end up with all these puppies in shelters. And I mean, if the purpose is improving behavior and physical health, behavioral and physical health, these puppies shouldn't be the sorts of dogs that end up populating our shelter. So let's talk about doodles and then end with the shelter stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, You hit it it perfectly. Those were, so those are the two. So there's two issues. I think that people coming from the traditional perspective of breeding have with this idea of breeding outside of breeds. Right. And the one is exactly what you said is that we're going to have trouble placing the puppies. And the other thing that you hear is people who, Breed mixed breed dogs don't or can't do it responsibly, and I tried to address. So I did a whole series on golden on doodles, mm-hmm. uh, two episodes on golden doodles and one episode just on doodles in general. Uh, I did a whole series on doodles trying to address the idea that it's not possible to breed mixes responsibly, um, and to address the perception that a lot of doodles are irresponsibly bred, right? Cause I think it's true that there are a lot of irresponsibly bred doodles out there. Um, yeah. and why is that? So the answer that I have for that is that if there's going to be, and, and it ties back into this demand for puppies. Um, so there's a demand for good pet dogs, Mm-hmm. There's a perception right now that doodles make good pet dogs. There was a perception perception some number of years ago and still somewhat now that Labradors make good pet dogs, right? So whatever mm-hmm. the current perception is, this is you know this is the good pet dog. Why do, you know, because my friend has one or I, I read on the internet that this is the best thing to get, um, some first time dog owners may not do their research deeply. But there's this this concept of this particular mix or breed as a good pet dog then there's going to be a demand for a lot of those puppies. And when their demand is greater than the supply, my parents are both economists, um, (laughs) people are going to start stepping in to supply more puppies. And then that slack is going to be taken up by irresponsible breeders. So I lay the issue with a lot of irresponsibly bred doodles out there at the foot of the demand for doodles and suggest that The issue with it is not breeding doodles, and the answer to it is not saying we should not allow people to breed doodles, but the answer is, well, we should make it easier for people to breed good pets. If those are doodles right now, maybe we should provide some other options as well for people who want good pets and didn't realize that there could be some other options even besides a doodle. Um, And so one of the things that we talk about is, would there even be multi-generation mixes bred just to be good pets? So that's another option for people start finding the irresponsible doodle breeders and start educating them. They may well want to do better and just not know that there's better that that could be done. Start helping them do that. Um, and help people understand how to find the good doodle breeders because there are good doodle breeders out there. Uh, yeah. my first doodle episode was interviewing, Uh, the president of Ghana, which is the Golden Doodle Association of North America. So Golden Doodles do have a breed club, which I hadn't known before I started researching this topic. Uh, It's an amazing breed club. It requires that before you register your your dogs, you have to health test them. That's amazing, right? Why doesn't every breed club do that? like, yeah, that would solve so many problems. If I, you know, people have this conception that because a dog is AKC registered, that must mean it's healthy. It's not true. No, Yeah. No, it just means means that
0: it's that breed.
1: It only means that it's that breed. So, but what if it did mean that the dog uh, being from health tested parents is not the same thing as being healthy, but it's a big step in the right direction. So what if that was actually what that meant? That would be amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, and then, and then the other issue is with the idea that um, it's really hard for people to get puppies. And it's really hard right now during the pandemic. Everyone wants a puppy because they're at home right now. And there is a massive lack of puppies. Um, and when people go to shelters and can't get puppies, they do um, not tend to go get on a three year waiting list, which is what it is right now for a purebred dog, they tend to go to whoever will give them a dog in the next month. And that is probably going to be an irresponsible breeder. So what can we do about that? Um, And so that was very much what Trish's, Trish McMillan's episode was about, uh, was the changing face of the shelter world. There are parts of the country that, and I live in one in New England, where you cannot easily go to a shelter and say, I want a, a mixed breed puppy. You know, I want sort of a reasonable size mixed breed puppy. Um, there aren't in shelters here and no. there aren't in fact, even um, adult dogs except for dogs who have severe behavior problems. And then the uh, pity mixes or not for everybody.
0: Um, yeah. Or not for every, shelter. you know, I'm in an apart. like you, most renters cannot have a pit bull okay. no matter what they think or want or can handle. Right. You may want one, but the, there may be rules where you live that you can't have one for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I've never we, lived somewhere that would have allowed me to have a pit bull. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, even people who own their own homes, it can be problematic with insurance. Mm-hmm. So, um, in New England, our solution is to import dogs from the South. Mm-hmm. That is not a long-term solution. Um, it's not good for the dogs. I don't like the idea of eight week old puppies being driven up from the south. Um, I don't like the fact that there are people in the South who actually want to be able to go adopt a local puppy from their local shelter and actually can't because in some regions they're being transported so rapidly up to New England. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the smaller dogs, right? People like small dogs are hard to find in shelters. New England is stealing them and they, in some parts of the South, are becoming hard to find. So there are parts of the country that still have a pet overpopulation problem. Uh, But there are parts of the country that do not. And the parts that do are really on track to be moving towards getting that under control in the next decade. Um, So what is going to happen with shelters and shelters are starting to move towards a model of, well, maybe we shouldn't be about taking dogs and maybe we should be about keeping dogs in their homes and supporting people who don't want to surrender their dogs, helping them with the dog's behavior problem, helping provide them with food and medical care if they can't afford that, um, and help the dogs stay where they are, maybe we should be supporting foster networks and not have dogs on site. But then, and that is that is better, right? That is where shelters should be going. That is yes. fantastic. But then where do puppies come from? And so that's right. what Trish and I struggled with in her episode. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, it's I, and I think Trish said it so well, um, or maybe it was you, but I think it was Trish who kind of was like, Okay, if breeders are producing sol- sound dogs, behavioral and physically, mm-hmm. shelters are helping people keep their dogs in their homes, um, and people are getting matched with appropriate dogs, the only dogs that are ever going to be ending up in shelters, and, and, and we're not having any oops litters, you know, if like those four things, which are all noble goals to have, mm-hmm. are true, then where are people getting these dogs, Um and, yeah, like I'm, I'm actually going to Colorado in a couple days, so I kind of, you know, casually checked um, the available dogs list at the shelter I used to work for. Um, and, yeah, there wasn't a single dog on their list that wasn't a bully mix. Um, or there was one, I think, 13-year-old Shiba Inu Chihuahua Cross that had some pretty serious fear issues. You know, and, and it, it, I, one of the dogs I was turned down for recently, the rescue asked me if I had considered looking locally. Um, and, um, yeah, I had a couple swear words pass through my head. It was like, yeah, yeah yes, yes. I have considered looking locally. Um, yeah, I'm looking I... for a very specific thing and, uh, you know, there's a reason I'm reaching out to a shelter in St. Louis, yeah. um, about a given dog. And, it's, um, it's hard, you know, I, it's really, really hard.
1: So I have, um, I have Jenny and you got to hear her alarm bark earlier in this interview. And I don't know if, <laughs> if it'll be edited out or if you're- Hopefully it will be. It. <laughs> I think we'll get it out. <laughs> um, so Jenny was not socialized well as a puppy and she still uh, pretty regularly rouses herself out of a sound sleep screaming that someone is coming to kill us. Uh, I think she has nightmares. And she's certainly also screams when what you heard was someone coming to deliver to the house. And I think she's kind of screwed up Dash, who I got as a puppy, he was my first puppy, and so she helped me raise him. Um, so imagine being a puppy growing up in a household where someone's screaming about how we're going to be murdered all the time. So I was. Yeah. So then, when I wanted a, a third dog, I was like, I can't get a puppy again. Like, not I'm not having Jenny help me raise another puppy. So I was like, well, then I need to get an adult dog. Well, an adult dog in New England that was really challenging. Um, and so I, you know, I watched uh, various Facebook groups for a while, and I saw potential dogs all over the country, and I just didn't, I mean, I guess I would have been willing to drive, you know, eight or 12 or 20 hours or whatever, but I didn't really want to. And I think it'd be a great way to introduce a dog to my new, to my home, to put them in a car for 20 Mm. hours. And so then when I saw this border collie only three hours away in a shelter, I was like, oh, it's a unicorn. Like they were like, no behavior problems. He's great. And I was, you know, I was like on the phone 10 minutes later, uh, very lucky that I got him uh, because I have a fenced yard, which not everybody does. And that is, Critical in being able to get a dog from a shelter. Um, he did not turn out to be without behavior problems, right? And you sort of think mm-hmm. about it, you're like, well, in New England, why do you take a dog to a shelter? It's so easy to rehome a good dog here. Uh, why yeah. wouldn't you just give a dog to your friend? Why would you take a dog to a shelter? Probably because this dog has some issues and you don't want to wish them on your friend,
0: but you don't want to kill the dog so you take it to a shelter. Um, absolutely. Yeah. This, that's something I think about all the time. There's pretty much no version of reality in which something happens to me and my dog ends up in a shelter. Right. Because he's easy and I've got a good support network. So yes, good. dog. I mean, he obviously came from a shelter, so, you know, he did end up in the shelter at some point, but there was, there was a big failing in a, in a safety net for his family. Um, you know, it was, it was a pretty bad, abrupt situation, it sounds like for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's tough. Um, yeah. And I, I I do think again, that's where we're, you know, hopefully we're, and it's a good thing where I want to
1: emphasize and I want to emphasize that it's a good thing. I I do have a shelter medicine background. I did an internship in shelter medicine at the university of Florida. It was a very influential and fabulous year for me. Um, and so I'm sort of listening to myself say these things with an ear to like what my friends from there might hear. (laughs) Um, shelter medicine is, has just transformed the way shelters are managed. And we are doing so much better with managing dogs and shelters and moving yeah. them through. And that end goal, it's amazing that we're so close to that end goal, right? Yeah. It's no, amazing this is that such we're a good organized. problem to have. Yes. It's fabulous that good dogs that come into shelters get rehomed so quickly And so few of them end up having to come in in the first place. That is what we always wanted. But we are now at this stage where we have to start thinking about, okay, well, it's fabulous that we're asking what's next, but what's next? So
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Because people are going to want to get dogs from somewhere. And if they don't have somewhere responsible to go for a reasonably easy dog, because yeah, I mean, you and I are both professionals who are pretty well connected. And the fact that we're struggling, yeah is is really problematic and yes you can technically go to a shelter or rescue and get a dog um but you know we all know that they're not exchangeable um and you should be able to figure out where to get a dog if you have a child and an elderly dog that has some sensitivities you know like it's unreasonable to have your only options be waiting three years for a fancy pants puppy Um, or taking on some dog with serious issues from a shelter. Um, there's gotta be another option.
1: People and, and people will like, this is just how people operate. They will end up going to an irresponsible breeder. If that's the only place that they see that they can get a puppy where. Well, and it's not
0: like these irresponsible breeders are being honest about the the fact that they're irresponsible. Right. So we can't blame people for
1: not knowing Um, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's a fair amount of work to figure out, particularly in this age of buying things off the internet. And it's very hard to connect with someone online and really establish that they actually, um, are producing what they say they're producing.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, again, even as someone who's pretty well connected, I've talked to a lot of breeders in the last couple of years. And after I dig for long enough, I've had things come up where it's like, I mean, yeah, this breeder is pretty good, um, but do I want to get a puppy from them? Maybe not. Um, and again, the only reason I know that, it, like, I find those things out, is because I I do a crap ton of research. I'm waiting a long time, and I'm really, really well connected within this world where you know, like my dad, we, we lost, um, our lab at 15 years, um, last May. And my dad is, you know, kind of sort of thinking about getting a next dog. And my dad is in his mid sixties. He lives on 40 acres. He's a great home for a dog. Um, but he, when he's ready is not going to want to wait multiple years and is not going, he doesn't know how to do that research. And that's not, you know, I'll help him. But, you know, not everyone, not every 60 year old who wants a new dog has a professional trainer as their daughter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, there's still always the chance that something's going to come up. So yeah. um, do we have anything we want to add? This is already going a little bit long, so we should probably start wrapping up, unfortunately. Um, yeah, no, I think we covered it. I think we did. Um, I just, I, I, I want to thank you again for everything you're doing. I'm so excited to watch where this is going. And yeah. Um, yeah, keeping, I'm keeping an eye on some of these, some of these sporty mixes yes, that I've, sure. I've been seeing coming around. I, uh, I mean, already this Facebook group has just been so helpful in finding some of these, these sporty mixes that, um, you know, might be where I go for my next dog. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. And I, I appreciate your thanking me,
1: but again, I want to really emphasize <laughs> that it is such a group effort. Like it is, yes. it is, I am the face of it, but it is taking on a life of its own, which is fantastic. Um, I guess in that vein, I think what I would say is that if people want to learn more about it, they absolutely should check out the Facebook group and we're always looking for volunteers. Um, so if you, you know, come read what people are talking about and then reach out to me. And if you think that you want to participate, uh, there's plenty of work to do.
0: That's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, I think it's just the sort of thing that we're all excited to watch it grow. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what people have to say about it. Um, so, thank you again for coming on, and thank you, you know, kind of to any any moderators or other volunteers that are involved who may be <laughs> listeners. Um, I'd like to think that we have a couple of them listening in, um, and just you know, thank you guys. Thanks to all the responsible breeders out there, and thanks to all the shelter people who are helping us create this problem of needing more yes, awesome dogs. For um, sure. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's such a good problem to to have on the shelter end of things, the, health, the behavior health problem stuff, um, that we, yeah. you know, we dark out whole for ourselves. That's not a great problem to have, but the shelter stuff, that's good. Um, yeah, so again, anyway, it's, not,
1: it's not a scientific problem. It's a social problem. So I feel like mm-hmm. it just takes a social will to fix it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tricky. And, um, I mean, one of the things we didn't even get into that is a question that I have is it, it, how much of an option are, you know, Uh, in the inner, in the working dog world, we do a lot of like bringing in German shepherds from the Czech Republic or whatever. Um, is that actually that viable for genetic diversity issues in some of these breeds, you know, like uh, European lines, are they actually helpful in some of these cases or is it generally just kind of a worldwide problem? And that's my last question, I promise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know we had wrapped up so well. Um, I think it depends on the breed. So in some breeds, there's a lot of difference between the European and the American lines. Um, and in some breeds there's less, um, it's, I think that if we keep breeding the way we have been, then we're just going to end up painting ourselves back into the same corner. So there are some breeds where yes, you can start bringing in dogs from Europe and it's going to really help the situation. Um, but then if we keep, only breeding the very best and having the popular sires and, and continuing to sort of winnow down the diversity Mm -hmm. that way. Um, We're just going to like, there's only, that's, that's it. That's your outcross population. And once you use that up, um, you have to start breeding more responsibly now. Uh, But the other thing I would say is, you know, if you, if you look at your breed and it has a particular health problem, and then you look at the European dogs and
0: they have the same health problem, Yeah, well, and especially when we're talking, you know, like Dobermans, I think we said, you said the inbreeding coefficient is so high that it's not just that you've essentially bred brother to sister, but you've done that multiple times.
1: Yeah, so Um, Dobermans are a good example of people are um, starting now to breed working and show lines, um, and the working lines tend to come from Europe. And what they're finding is that, um, so by one particular way of measuring genetic diversity, the... um, When so Doberman so there's okay so one particular way of measuring genetic diversity uh, around ten percent of uh, call the coefficient of inbreeding around ten percent is where people in zoo populations start saying ten percent makes us a little uncomfortable higher than that Mm -hmm. is bad we want to stay under ten percent purebred dogs as an average over all the breeds are at twenty percent Dobermans um, show line well U S Dobermans are forty percent if you cross them to um working line Dobermans, you can get back down to around 20%. Gotcha. So, and it's sort of like, so how do you perceive that? It comes back to the whole relative to the breed thing. How do you perceive that? 40% to 20% is huge, right? Like yeah, you're that's way better. The problem in half. It's way better. But you're only getting back down to still a lot worse than where the zoo population sort of draws the line. And you're still only getting to where the average purebred is. And I'm sort of arguing, wouldn't it be nice to have dogs be um, a reasonable level of diversity overall? Like, maybe we shouldn't be saying 20% is so fantastic for this breed. Maybe we should be saying, where are we going to try? Let's look at everything else and see where we would would try to get overall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What if 5% was the goal, period? Right.
1: Right. And it's, it's okay. just, it's hard. So I, I, it's hard. It's hard to get there. It's so hard. Um, it's hard. And so, but there again, what I want to say, I know we said it would be done.
0: <laughs> I know. We're- but there
1: again. What I want to say is just let us do it, right? Like the people who are really focused on type, they are going to have to take a bit of an inbreeding hit to stay focused on on type, a diversity mm-hmm. hit to stay focused on type. They can do that. Let us go start producing these dogs where we're not focusing on type so much, there's more outcrossing. We have some more genetic diversity. Let us create that pool for you so that then Mm -hmm. when you come to a point where you're like, ah, I really need to outcross here. We have something that is fairly similar to your, what you're breeding for, but with some more diversity that you can reach out to without having to go to an entirely different breed. Um, And what I would really, really love is to see the people who are deep in the fancy, see that as a win for both of us, right? To start providing the stock to the breeding stock, to the people who want to do that outcrossing, let them do their thing, support them in doing their thing. They will provide a resource that will be useful to you down the road. And it doesn't change what you're doing.
0: Yeah. No one's going to force you to breed your perfectly beautiful show line, whatever to you my sporty can, mix. right. But you if you want that sporty do that. mix down the line to deal right. with your your health issue, right. you're, it, so, it'll be
1: nice to have it there. Exactly. And so my message is, if there's someone else who's in your breed who wants to let their dogs be used, let them do it. Yeah, You don't have to do it yourself. Just let other people do it. So that's my message.
0: Yeah. Great. And my message is, if you guys are like, kind of doing whiplash as you're listening to us go back and forth just go and listen to the functional breeding podcast you'll get all of this and more um there's uh, several episodes that we didn't even get into because they were so exciting and there's just so much to talk about we're actually going to wrap up now um so just make sure that you check out um the functional breeding podcast um to get more of this and um i'm not being paid to say that i just thank you so much yeah, can't stop talking about it, it. but thank um, you. like I we it. keep trying to hang up i literally can't stop talking about this so um we're leaving now be sure to subscribe to canine conversations wherever you find your podcasts you guys know how to find dr heckman and the F- functional breeding podcast and the functional breeding collective find them on facebook um You can find our episode notes and bonus materials where we'll link to everything we talked about in this episode at canineconvos.com. It's canine, all spelled out. Um, You can reach out to us at hello and canineconvos.com. And I'm Kayla Fratt from Journey Dog Training. Our theme music is called Funny Song. It's provided royalty-free from BenSound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James edfbherd.org.uk. at beheard.org.uk. He's amazing. He saved my life this week. Not literally, just in sound editing. Um, and our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. We will talk to you guys again soon.